Has Brian Kelly raised the bar for expectations for first-year head coaches in college football? You are Locked On LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked at LSU your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Plus, check us out on YouTube as well. Like, comment, review, subscribe, all of that great stuff. Love hearing from you all every day. Love hearing your thoughts on the podcast. And always love it when you make Locked on LSU your first listen every single day. My name is Caroline Fenton. I am your host, as I am every day. You can follow me on Twitter at Caroline Fenton1. You can also follow along the podcast for updates on Locked on LSU. So I think that Brian Kelly, along with Sonny Dykes, each this past season, have raised the bar for expectations for first-year coaches in college football. And I'll specifically hone in on Brian Kelly for obvious reasons. Brian Kelly in his first year takes a roster that really didn't have a whole lot working for it. We all know what happened in the Texas Bowl after – after Coach O was fired before Brian Kelly really took over as the head coach of LSU, we saw a wide receiver playing quarterback. You know, we saw just how barren this roster truly was. And Brian Kelly comes in in year one. You beat Alabama. You win nine games in the regular season. You go to Atlanta, compete for an SEC championship. You win the SEC West. We all know how it happened. But there may be several fan bases around college football that are now looking at what Brian Kelly did and what Sonny Dykes did at TCU getting his team to the national title game in year one and saying, well, are those the new expectations? When traditionally expectations for first-year head coaches was just come in, do what you can do, show me what you can do, show me what you can work with, and then move forward. Well, I sat down with Locked On Bearcats. Of course, they have a first-year head coach going in this year, Luke Fickle leaves to go to Wisconsin and Cincinnati has their first year head coach. So I sat down with locked on Bearcats to kind of give the perspective of a fan coming off a very successful first year of a head coach. This was my conversation with locked on Bearcats and host Alex Frank. I had this guest on last year a lot during NFL draft season because both Cincinnati and LSU had star cornerbacks who were projected to go in the top five, and that ultimately happened. And I wanted to bring her back on because she covers LSU. She is the host of Locked On LSU. And they had a first-year head coach last year who Bearcat fans are very familiar with because he used to be, of course, the head coach at the University of Cincinnati. And she is... Caroline Fenton of Locked On LSU. Caroline, it's great to have you back. Um, always great to have you on Locked On Bearcats. First off, I, I want to ask you this. So you covered LSU when you were in school there. You cover LSU now as the host of Locked On LSU, in addition to your Nashville sports talk show hosting duties at 1025 The Game. What was your reaction to Brian Kelly being hired at LSU uh, prior to the start of the 20? 20- it was right around conference championship Saturday last year, 2021. I shouldn't say last year, 2021. What was your reaction to Brian Kelly getting hired at LSU? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, first and foremost. Always a pleasure to come on with you. Um, I'll be completely honest with you. The the hire, I, I was incredibly skeptical of. There were so many names swirling around LSU, the, you know, the LSU rumors. 
We heard Lincoln Riley. We heard Dabo. We even heard Jimbo Fisher because, of course, Jimbo Fisher was hired at Texas A&M by Scott Woodward when he was the athletic director at A&M. Scott Woodward is now the athletic director at LSU. So we already knew that there was kind of a pre-existing relationship there. All of those names were kind of swirling around. And Scott Woodward has a reputation for being a home run hitter, for always reaching for the moon with coaching hires. And we see that now at LSU. He hired Kim Mulkey to be the women's basketball coach. They're one of the top teams in the country. Hired Jay Johnson away from Arizona. And, of course, now Brian Kelly at uh, the football squad. So I was shocked when I heard Brian Kelly was going to be the next coach at LSU because Mm. he wasn't really a name that anybody had thought of. And I really didn't think it was going to be Lincoln Riley. I didn't think it was going to be Dabo. I thought, no, 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 no. None of those names really make sense. Those aren't really good fits at LSU. I really thought, like my front runner in my mind was Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda was the defensive coordinator at LSU. He was DC, the 2019 national championship season. He had been at LSU for several years prior to going to Baylor. He had a successful season at Baylor. They went to the Big 12 championship, won the Big 12 championship. And I thought, you know what? Bring Aranda back. Everyone knows him. Everyone loves him. He's a proven commodity at LSU. So Brian Kelly was just kind of out of left field. The initial reaction around LSU fan bases was, this is a terrible fit. Like This is a horrible culture fit. Because anybody who's unfamiliar with with Louisiana, Louisiana is unlike any other place in America. It has its own culture. It has its own lifestyle. It has its own way of life. It has its own language and food. You know, you, you get it. Um, I, I do. And it was kind of a, a, a an odd shift moving from one man, one coach, who is literally the state of Louisiana personified and, and, and Ed Orgeron, to a man who had spent his entire coaching career in the Midwest, who grew up in Boston. So a lot of people said it, was, it wasn't it was the right culture fit. I always looked at it like, I don't care where you're from, because you know Nick Saban spent his entire career before going to LSU and to Alabama. He spent his entire career in the Midwest as well. He spent time at Michigan State. He was kind of new to the Southeast. So I said, I don't really care where, you're, where you come from. The culture at LSU was winning. So if you can win... We'll like you. But admittedly, I was incredibly skeptical of it. It felt kind of like a forced fit. But obviously, you know, now uh, year one is behind us. LSU yeah. beats Alabama in year one, wins the SEC West, goes to Atlanta, um, and has a 10-win season. Um, couldn't be more pleased from what you've seen in year one of Brian Kelly. We'll get to what LSU did last year because I want to ask you about that. But it's interesting, Caroline, because I remember when Brian Kelly was hired at, at LSU. I remember – and Bearcat fans remember this week vividly because this was 2021 conference championship week. The Bearcats are one win away from presumably going to the college football playoff as a G5 team. And that was a big deal. So it was a Monday night and I'm at my grandparents' house for dinner. And and one of my former colleagues at Cincinnati on at our student-run media organization texted me, red alert. I'm like, what? And he said, Brian Kelly's leaving Notre Dame. And I'm like, oh boy. So you're frantically checking Twitter and ESPN, if you're me, for updates throughout the week. Thankfully for Bearcat fans, Luke Fickle doesn't get the job in Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman did. Brian Kelly goes to LSU, which I was like, why would you leave Notre Dame for LSU when you have to coach in the SEC, the SEC West, Alabama? Well, let me ask you this you mentioned that there was a lot of skepticism on your part and that it wasn't a culture fit. What were your expectations for Brian Kelly uh, going into year one last year at LSU? 
I said it on Lost on LSU, one of the episodes this week. Um, I said it was really tough for me to establish expectations because this wasn't just a coaching change. I mean, this was a, a culture shift within the franchise of LSU football that had really been going on ever since the 2019 championship season. So it was really tough for me to have expectations. You now you move on from, from Coach Edward. Yep, exactly. We know him. We love him, Joey B., um, you know, you go from losing such a massive, you know, part of your core from that 2019 season, not just on the field, but also coaches as well. You go into 2020 coming off of the highest of highs that you could have as an LSU football fan, you know, coming off of probably the most successful and impressive college football season in the history of college football. And then you open up the season against Mississippi state and KJ Costello throws for over 600 yards and you lose in one of the most embarrassing games that yeah. you could imagine. So, I, I mean, that's, that. that was the state of LSU football at the time was we just went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And we didn't really know what the light at the end of the tunnel was. You lose a ton of players. I know recruiting in Louisiana is always going to be strong. So you still had some pretty strong pieces, but really, you know, Brian Kelly was coming into a team that in January in the Texas bowl only had 30 something scholarship players playing to put that into perspective. You usually have about 80. So Brian Kelly was coming into an incredibly barren football team. There were a few proven commodities, uh, BGO Jolari, Ali Gay, Jaquel and Roy. That defensive line was really kind of the core of this team. Uh, Kayshawn Booty, Jack Besh, a couple of, of turnover players from, from the years past. But for the most part, we didn't know who was going to be the quarterback. You know, we didn't know who was going to be playing in the defensive backfield. We didn't know what the coaching staff was so many question marks surrounding that team. So I remember in July at, at the uh, SEC media days, I, somebody asked me like, who do you like, what do you think that LSU's record is going to be? I said, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I think it could be anywhere from six and six to 10 and two. Like I have no idea. Like I wouldn't be surprised either way. I really thought kind of that sweet spot for LSU was like at eight and four, probably with losses to Alabama Losses to Texas A&M before we knew that Texas A&M was going to be a train wreck this past season. So I thought it was going to be a fairly average year for LSU. And it proved to be better than average, even though the, the you know, the regular season record was nine and three. It was a much better season than I think anyone could have imagined. And it didn't come without its ups and downs. It didn't come without its really scary moments and, you know, way too close for comfort kind of games. Um, but my expectation for Brian Kelly, it, it's really tough for me to answer because I don't even know if I really had one. My expectation for Brian Kelly was really just, what can you show me in year one? What can you show me what you can do with this roster that really felt completely barren going into it? How can you show me that you're building a foundation for the future? And Brian Kelly showed me more than that. I think that's what a lot of Bearcat fans feel right now, Caroline. I think you just touched on a lot of the fan base that I've been hearing and the fans that I've talked to. I was at a UC alumni event on Tuesday in Columbus and you know, I asked I asked a lot of people there, what do you think of Scott Satterfield? What do you think is going to happen year one? And they think he's a weak but safe hire. That's what really stood out to me. But I think, Caroline, the people that I, I talked to, there was a, a press conference yesterday uh, as we record this Thursday night. So earlier Thursday, um, I'm talking to my colleagues on the Bearcats B, and they think, you know, six and six is a reasonable record. I have them right now at seven and five just because I think they're going to be a little bit better than some people might suggest because of how good of offense of offenses Scott Satterfield had at Louisville. But I think what's, what's so interesting is I really do think like you thought of LSU last year, this team 
could, this Bearcats team could be anywhere from six and six to, I mean, maybe nine and three. That was my best case scenario. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays, they're all back. And there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's right, because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if that bet does not win. Now I'm looking at a bunch of different bets that you could make throughout the weekend as MLB play starts to heat up. Aaron Judge, pick up where he left off last season, continue how he's playing with a home run this weekend. Aaron Judge, RBI, home run, to record a hit, always a safe bet. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You and I did a show last April, and because you wanted to have me on your show to talk about Brian Kelly, who I am still a fan of, and I know a lot of Bearcat fans still have a lot of animosity towards him. I really don't know why. The Bearcats exercised those in Notre Dame in 2021. I was at that game. But a lot of – but what was puzzling, Caroline, was the description of Brian Kelly, CEO of practice. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you what was meant by that and did that expectations in 2022 so what we mean by that is the way that brian kelly structured practice was exactly like that it was very structured it was very calculated it was planned and it was organized and brian kelly had a very concrete black and white way that he wanted practice to go it was timed perfectly. He had every single member of the staff, every single member of the team in certain areas and certain drills up to a certain second. And then once that second hit, it was, it was, you know, you were constantly moving. Wow. It was efficient. We came from in the Ed Orgeron era, and I don't want to talk about, you know, the Brian Kelly era is great and the Kocho era was era was horrible. You know, the Kocho era obviously, you know, brought us a national championship. And I don't want to badmouth him, but the Coach O era with practice, it was almost like a very old school way of doing practice. They were like three or four hours long. It wasn't very regimented. It was very, you know, like it was very tough and hard nosed and, oh, your hurt doesn't matter. Keep going. Keep pushing yourself. So I think that the Coach O era was, wasn't organized enough. It was kind of, you know, it, just not, it was very unorganized. And it wasn't very calculated. And you could tell after that 2019 season, Ed Orgeron kind of took his foot off the gas. Like he went into practice with no plan whatsoever, with no vision for the team whatsoever. Whereas you go to the Brian Kelly era and it was so regimented and it was so calculated. And I think we kind of saw that come to fruition in the regular season that LSU really didn't struggle with injuries too much, at least soft tissue injuries. Unfortunately, LSU lost Mason Smith, defensive lineman, in the first game of the season to an ACL tear. But those are just kind of those wacky, weird things that you can't control. In terms of soft tissue injuries, LSU really didn't suffer too badly because Brian Kelly was so calculated in practice to make sure that those guys weren't pushed too hard in practice. And he evaluated the injuries in practice very well. And those were all calculated very much. It was like everything was thought through so intently. 
that he felt like the CEO of practice, that he had control of that football team. That's a critique that I had. I know a lot of other LSU football fans and other you know pundits who cover LSU football. It's a critique that they had of Ed Orgeron and that he just didn't feel like he had any sort of control over the locker room, any control of the game, any control of practice. And we saw a big shift there where, where Brian Kelly really tightened up the culture. The season for LSU happens under Brian Kelly, first-year head coach. They lose that heartbreaker to Florida State. I remember watching that game at my mom's Charleston place. Uh, felt so bad for you. Felt so bad for everybody associated with LSU. Thank you. Um, season goes on. They're, they lose. They, they get crushed by Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Then they beat Ole Miss. And I'm like, okay, this team is, hey, no one's talking about LSU. They beat Alabama, which I personally love because I can't stand Alabama. Sorry, who um, I think Luke Robinson's the host of Locked in Alabama. Sorry, yeah. Luke. Um, but Zach Blackerby, our channel manager, is probably praising me right now and you. So they beat Alabama. And, and you said on Twitter something along the lines of, might mess around to beat Alabama as my on my first year as a head coach. So, And that was in reference to Brian Kelly. That was a great night. And all of a sudden, I'm like, if LSU somehow wins the SEC, they're going to go to the playoff. And, I, and they had two losses, but – you win the SEC by beating Bama and Georgia and Ole Miss. How could you not go to the playoff? The, they the ultimately... path for LSU, yeah, the path for LSU was after they beat Alabama, that's when we could have the realistic talk about, yeah. okay, could could LSU be the first two-loss college football playoff team? How the often path would you for have... LSU, sorry? How often would you have that discussion on your show? Uh, a good bit. You know, okay. that week after, after Alabama, and then it was Alabama, and then um, UAB, Texas A, and Texas A&M. So I said, if, if LSU can win out, and then they can beat Georgia in the SEC championship. They are no. absolutely a contender to be in the college football playoff. And remember, at this point, when I was having these conversations, Tennessee had not yet lost to South Carolina. So there was a huge conversation after LSU beat Alabama about which team would get in. A one-loss mm. Tennessee team against Georgia or a two-loss Tennessee team if they do beat Georgia in the SEC championship. And there was a whole lot of back and forth about that. And I argued, yes, LSU had two losses, but a win against Georgia in the SEC championship would be the best win in all of college football. And you can't argue any otherwise because Georgia was the number one team in the country in that time. Remember, Georgia at that time had beaten Tennessee, who going into that game, Tennessee was the number one ranked team in the country. So if you beat Georgia in the SEC championship, that's the best win in the country. And two, you are the, the conference champion of the most competitive conference in all of college football. So I thought LSU, okay. as long as they can win out, they have a strong resume for the college football playoff. Then Tennessee loses to South Carolina. And I thought, okay, all LSU has to do is win out. Win or you beat AM, beat Georgia in the SEC championship, and on you're probably in which is a lot easier said than done. And then, of course, the clunker, the, the horrible game against Texas A&M, losing that game inexplicably in the end of this, at the end of the year. They lose that game, and I say, okay, you know, the, the path to the playoff is gone. Can you at least just win the SEC championship? And, of course, you know, 50-30 to 30 final score against Georgia in the SEC championship. Georgia was just that good. Um, but, yeah, it, there was, at one point in the season, a legitimate path to the playoff. So, after, so from a Bearcats perspective, with what LSU did last year in their first year under a new head coach, does has that raised expectations for year two? Absolutely. 100%. Because to me, I always view it 
in year one with that head coach in any program and any conference in America. In year one, show me what you can do. You know, show me, show me the foundation, show me the recruitment, the, the recruiting classes that you're bringing in. Just show me that you're establishing your program. Year two is when I'm like, okay, now you show me, show me what you got. You know, year two is when you really prove yourself. I would use Josh Heupel at Tennessee as an example. I think that he kind of showed that, you know, cut and dry in year one, kind of showed you, he established it a little bit. You know, it was uh, a seven and six year for Tennessee. They went to the Music City Bowl, which but it at least showed improvement from uh, from the the Jeremy Pruitt era. Year sure. two, Tennessee was number one ranked team in the country at one point. I think Josh Heupel kind of proved to Tennessee fans in year two, I'm the guy. In year one, Brian Kelly showed us that. So in year two, it's show me that it wasn't beginner's luck. Show me that you can do it again. Show me that you can be a consistent contender and consistently win games oh. in the most competitive division in the most difficult conference in all of college football. Do it again. You know, do like I need a bigger sample size than just year one. I always say success is not linear and growth is not linear, especially in college football. So I, you know, if if LSU doesn't beat Alabama for the second year in a row, which is incredibly difficult to do. But LSU still shows promise and they still show consistent growth year over year, whether that's a trip to Atlanta every year or not. I think LSU fans are going to be pleased. But if LSU goes off of this, you know, this Cinderella year with Brian Kelly, nine and three in the regular season and a berth to Atlanta, and then they turn around the next year and win seven games, I think LSU fans are going to be really concerned. And that's when questions are going to start to come up. Because, I mean, at LSU, if you don't win, you're on the hot seat and it doesn't yeah. matter if it's one down year. You're on the hot seat. Ed Orgeron was fired just a year and a half removed from national title. So I think Brian Kelly understands those expectations. And I think that's ultimately why he came to LSU was because of the expectations. Um, but I would say that the, the, now that the bar is set in year one, it can only go up from there. It is interesting, Caroline. And I've had this conversation multiple times in the past few weeks, how hard it can be for teams to build off breakthrough seasons. And I think you living in Nashville can understand that with, well, first off with LSU, since they won the national championship or after they won, they weren't very good in 2020. They were okay in 2021. Last year, they had a pretty good season. You live in Nashville, you um, cover the Titans and the Predators. The Titans have not won a playoff game since going to the AFC Championship game in 2019. The Predators went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2017. They have not been to the Western Conference Finals since. In fact, they've only won one postseason series since they went to the Stanley Cup Final. And I say all of this because it's hard to build off breakthrough seasons because, as you mentioned, expectations are raised. I've been through it as a Bengals fan. I've been through it as a Bearcats fan. I've been through it as a Reds fan. Um, FC Cincinnati might have the same thing happen to them this year in MLS. So it, it is, it is interesting to me what you just said about when expectations are raised, it can be difficult for programs to build off a breakthrough season. I think that's what happened in Louisville with Scott Satterfield. I want to talk, I want to ask you about him and what you think about the Bearcats hiring Scott Satterfield. I want to ask you a generic question that I've also touched on here on Lockdown Bearcats, best case and worst case scenarios for a first-year head coach. And maybe if Scott Satterfield can duplicate what former Bearcats head coach Brian Kelly did at LSU last year. I will get into all of that after I explain to you how 
This episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Built Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. Are we still talking about the holidays and New Year's resolutions? Because it's already March 3rd. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got just the thing for you. you got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious for you. They won't even, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you, but they are perfect for your New Year's resolution. We still talking about those? What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. Maybe they'll make a gumbo flavor eventually. Uh, Caroline, that's for you, Louisiana. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better, is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around and get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Well, now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Caroline, you still uh, shop at Sam's Club? I haven't shopped there in years. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a 4-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to Sam's Club, Run in and grab a 13-bar box of arcade flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You can thank me later. Yeah, it's interesting. I got this craving, Caroline. I don't know if you've been to Sam's Club, but they they serve this really good pizza when you shop. Like, full slices of pizza. They got a craving for one the other day, and I'm like, yeah. I don't think that's good for me. I'm but, a Costco girly. Okay. But I love Costco. I, uh, I, I love Costco pizza. I'll go into Costco and, like, just get pizza or just get a smoothie. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now that that's now they should okay so they should built built bar should make and this is this, I'm being serious they should make a gumbo flavor and since you're a St Louis native they should make a uh, St Louis ribs flavor. I don't know how much I would love that in bar form. I think if, I, if I'm craving some gumbo or some St Louis style ribs, I, I might just go for the full thing. But it would All be right. nice if there was okay. a healthier alternative. <laughs> If only there was. I was talking at, a, at the UC alumni event the other day. Like, yeah, barbecue tour of Chicago, Memphis, KC, and and then Texas. So, I mean, and now the Bearcats are in the Big Twelve. I'm gonna I'm gonna be going to Dallas hopefully every year for the Big Twelve title game, Big Twelve media days, KC for basketball, Big Twelve tournament, which that conference is gonna be a dog next year. <laughs> and it's already all like good year. barbecue places. Yes, and Nashville's got good barbecue too. I I I can I can concur with anybody who thinks that, including you. So yes, back to it. Cincinnati. I mean, we could talk about food all day on the show if we wanted to. I might do a Lockdown Bearcats food special this offseason when there's, like, no content. Maybe I'll do that. All right. So best case and worst case scenarios. Just a generic question for you. What is, in your opinion, a best case and worst case scenario in terms of records, in terms of recruiting, in terms of success on the field, bowl game, championship, whatever? What is your generic definition of best case and worst case scenarios for a first year head coach in college football? Well, you know, obviously best case scenario would be going 12 and 0, winning your conference championship, going on Sunny to the college football playoff. Exactly. That that is best case scenario for a first year head coach, a second year head coach, a 51st year head coach. That is best case scenario for anybody. But if we want to be realistic, but also, to be totally fair, I didn't think it was realistic for Sonny Dykes to be undefeated in the regular season. Didn't win the conference championship. Let's not forget that. I but, didn't, yeah. uh, Does he get a birth to the college football playoff and compete for a title? You know, that's best case scenario for any coach. But if we want to be realistic, 
I, you know, I'm not familiar as familiar with Cincinnati football as you are, your listeners are, as I am of LSU football. I don't know if the Cincinnati roster or program is currently equipped to make a run for the college football playoff. Yet, I probably would have said the same thing about TCU, just being, you know, an outsider looking in. Yeah. Um, but I would say best case scenario for any first year head coach, give the fans hope. Give the fans promise. Make fans feel comfortable about you, you being hired, about you being the head coach of the future. And that can come in the form of record. That can come in the form of how you play week over week. For example, LSU against Florida State, they looked not very good. They, they looked confused. They looked unprepared. Two muffed punts, a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point. Like anything that could have gone wrong for LSU special teams did. And really just defensively sloppy tackling. Offensively, it looked like, you know, they did, people just didn't know their roles. Fast forward to a three-game stretch against Ole Miss, Florida, and Alabama, and LSU looked like they could compete with the best team in the country. So that's what gave us hope was week over week, month over month, LSU started looking like a better team. They improved every single week. And like I said, improvement isn't linear, and it wasn't the case for LSU either. The improvement wasn't linear. But I think that that's what you can hope for is make me feel good about your hire. Improve week over week. Recruiting is key. You know, can you consistently get top talent? Can you keep talent in state going to Cincinnati? Can you, you know, pick out some four and five stars from around the country? Can you see a clear vision for how the team is being built? I think that's what you can ask for. And that's a very fair, realistic, good expectation for a first year head coach is how are you building for the future? I think worst case scenario for a first year head coach is they start to do damage to the program where they they don't look good, um, where it, recruiting isn't very – I'll give you an example. Auburn. You know, Auburn is in a, a worse off shape now than they were, you know, a couple years ago because they made the wrong coaching hire because yeah. they didn't put recruiting at, a, you know, um, a high priority because they couldn't find a quarterback to get in the room and, and fully commit to that quarterback and develop that quarterback. So I think Auburn has some work to do because now they've taken a few steps back. They need to take leaps and bounds forward to get back to the point where they want to be. I think that's worst case scenario is you have a new coach coming in that doesn't prioritize the thing that needs to be prioritized. And it starts to take, you know, a, it's, it, you, your program starts to take a few steps back. I think that's absolutely worst case scenario. I wish I could put, you know, a, a more qualitative assessment of that of you know a, a record or you should be a top 10 recruiting class I just don't think that that's necessarily fair I don't think that all records are created equal yeah. um I would say that's more so from a 360 foot view a more qualitative um view of a first year head coach of can you just show me that you're making progress can you show me that we made the right hire and that comes in day by day progress week by week progress year by year progress so last year Caroline, there were 29 first-year head coaches, including Brian Kelly. Uh, 12 of them had winning records. Five were 500. So 17 of your 29 first-year head coaches finished 500 or better. That's pretty good. So, And we know Sonny Dykes, you mentioned him. He took TCU from 5-7 and seven to the national championship game. I won't even say what happened there because that was bound to happen, and it did. We all so, know it's going to happen. I, I, oh, I think you're totally right on that. I, I, I turned the game off at halftime. I'm not going to lie. 
So it's interesting, Caroline, the worst case scenario description you gave because Bearcat fans remember Tommy Tuberville and he didn't prioritize recruiting. Well, what's made Cincinnati football so great over the last 20 years is their ability to recruit in-state. I mean, Ohio is a powerhouse when it comes to football. And I think it's also interesting what he said, don't damage the program. I think a lot of Bearcat fans might start to think, and I kind of felt this way in Bearcats basketball, and I'm going to touch on this next week or sometime later this offseason. Bearcats basketball, John Brandon, head coach in year one, even though the Bearcats were still good, they were still a fringe tournament team. We'll never know if they would have made it or not because COVID canceled everything before it happened. But you saw cracks in the program start to become bigger, and it just led to even bigger cracks the following season. And by the time Brandon was fired, the damage had been done, and it's still in recovery mode. Now, Caroline, I'm not sure how much of Bearcats football you follow. I know I know you follow the Bengals because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and I mean, maybe Justin Jefferson will somehow get over here eventually. Um, by the way, Jamar Chase's birthday was on Wednesday, so happy birthday to him. 23, happy birthday. 23 years old. I believe he's still like 20. Uh, yeah, I, I remember when he was drafted at 21. So he was going through the draft process, and he wasn't even legal enough to drink or buy a drink. I feel That's like he could have gotten around that, though. Well... No. Okay, but you, I'm not sure how much Bearcats football you know and follow, but they're going to the Big 12, which is not the SEC, but it's still a pretty good conference. I mean, TCU went to the playoff. K-State won the Big 12 championship. So what do you think Scott Satterfield, he coached at uh, your co-host Jared Stillman's alma mater, yep. Louisville. I'll ask you two questions. What What's Jared's opinion of Scott Satterfield? Maybe I'll get him on the show eventually uh, um, because he's a Louisville grad follows Louisville athletic. What, what what's Jared's opinion on Scott Satterfield? What, what did he make of him during his time? time at Louisville? He if was ready him. to get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. And, and to okay. be completely transparent, Jared's not a, a college football guy. He went to Louisville. Um, but you know, in our partnership, I was the college football girl. He was the NFL guy. He very much so follows okay. the NFL much more closely. Um, but I mean, even after that, that first game, he was, he was ready to get him out of there. He was ready for something new. Um, right. so I don't think he's the biggest Scott Satterfield fan in the world, but that's also coming from a jaded Louisville fan. <laughs> All right. Okay. Interesting. But for, what do you think? Scott Satterfield's going to be able to do in his first season with the Bearcats. They're going to the Big 12, Big 12 schedule. They do play Pitt in non-conference play. What do you expect from a 360, 30,000-foot view of Carolina, the Bearcats, next year? Yeah, it's a really good question because Cincinnati's about to go under a lot of change. Going through a head coaching shift is a lot of change in and of itself because you probably have an entirely new coaching staff coming in. You probably have a good bit of your recruiting staff that is changing. You've probably had a lot of players enter the transfer portal. And to be completely honest, I haven't covered Cincinnati football close enough to know how many players may have left or have come in or your recruiting status. But I would just say just as a general note of coaching changes – there's probably a, a mass exodus that happens, rightfully so. Those players got, got got recruited by that coach. That coach leaves. They don't want to be there anymore. Totally fair. Um, so you have that change happening within your organization, within your locker room. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you're also changing conferences. And you have a completely new schedule. You have completely new rivals. So I would say 
taper your expectations because it's not just a first-year head coach. It's not just trying to plug the holes on your roster that were created by those players entering the transfer portal or by recruits that decommitted because they didn't want to go to Cincinnati anymore when the coach that recruited them and Luke Fickle isn't going to be there anymore. And that's so fair. So you have those changes then also getting acclimated to, a, I would say, an ascension of competition. You know, going from the AAC to the Big 12, your schedule just got that much more difficult. And that's no yeah. knock on the AAC, but the Big 12 as a whole just has more quality opponents. You've also got some, some non-quality opponents in there as well. But I even look at, like, Kansas this past year. Kansas was really impressive. That's not going to be an easy game every single year. Um, so your, your, your level of competition just increased. You're also going under a lot of change. I would say taper your expectations, and that's totally fair. I would also say give him some time. Give him some time to be able to get in there, to create a culture, to get his, his guys in there, for the fan base to get acclimated to the Big 12 and realize, okay, you know, these are the, the weeks every single year that we're going to be circling. You know, let, the, let Cincinnati develop some rivalries. You know, I'll, I'll use LSU basketball as a parallel. This time last year, you know, Will Wade just got probed, like an FBI probe, and it was all of these NCAA violations. He got fired at LSU, and by April, LSU didn't have a single scholarship player left on that roster. Matt McMahon comes in after a very decorated career at Murray State, and he wins two games in SEC play. And while I know that there are some LSU fans that are frustrated by that, I have to remind them and say, look, remember where this program was just a year ago. It's going to take Matt McMahon some time to get his guys in there, to do a little bit of cleanup work. And while the state of Cincinnati football is nowhere near as much in disarray yeah. as LSU basketball is at the moment, the same kind of sentiment I think is, is fair to apply to any team going through a coaching change, especially a team that's changing conferences. It might take a little bit of time to get acclimated. Right. Year one, don't expect 10 wins. I don't think that's necessarily fair, but if you get it, hell yeah. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. Coming up on tomorrow's podcast for all of you everydayers, tomorrow on the show, we will be breaking down John Jancic's evaluation of the defensive line, where it is right now, the outside linebacker position, and also what special teams is shaping up. Because y'all know, my everydayers out there, y'all know that I need some better special teams play in my future. All of that coming up on tomorrow's edition of Locked on LSU.